I wanted to continue on my um, theme of Nehemiah that I started last week, but I just, in my preparation this week, I was awoken early. Um, I'm getting to that stage in life where I get up earlier and earlier or don't go to bed or wake up in the middle of the night. So um, I was just woken up this morning for a couple of hours and in my praying, I just felt God wanted to say something different. And so this is not as uh, put together as my Nehemiah one was, but uh, I really felt God wanted some of us to hear what he's saying this morning. I'm going to start, I'm reading, I'm reading a book at the moment called How Much More Shall Your Father Give the Holy Spirit to Them That Ask by a guy called Robert Gordon. I'm afraid it's out of print. Very, very good book. It's a testimony book. Very good book. Um, I think you can get it on some places that are selling secondhand books. But I was arrested by a sentence in the book. And he says this, What God does in your life does not depend on how you feel about it, but on what he has promised to do. Let me repeat that. What God does in your life does not depend on how you feel about it, but on what he has promised to do. Why did that stand out to me? Because we live in a world that is very feelings-based. You know, mate, you may not realize that, but it is exceptionally feelings-based. And if you look at our particular Western culture, something as important as marriage is based on a feeling. Yeah. Now, I'm not saying that we don't fall in love and there isn't a feeling of love, but we don't base things on feelings because feelings are changeable. You know, I love my kids, but sometimes, sometimes there are other feelings that come forward. All the parents will know. And so it's exceptionally difficult you know, to base things on feelings. And, and the difficulty is this, is that when you look at faith, faith always operates on a promise. Did you know that? It, there is no faith with no promise. Without any promise, you can't have faith. Why? Because faith is in the promise. And, and if we go, I've mentioned this so many times, so forgive me if you've heard this too many times before, but the father of all faith mentioned in the New Testament is a guy from the Old Testament called Abraham. And Abraham's faith was seen as exceptional because he believed what God promised, not what he saw in the world around him and not what he felt. Now, where the challenge comes into the world that we live in is that even as Christians, we want to feel things. We kind of say, well, Lord, you know, I want to feel this. I want to kind of... And I'm not saying that God won't do that and doesn't do that, but I'm saying that need for feeling will not produce faith. In fact, faith comes before feelings. The feelings follow in behind. The idea is that there is this picture that Watchman Nee gave years ago and he said there are three individuals, one's called fact, one's called faith and one's called feelings. And he says fact and, and he says all three of them are walking on a wall. You know what it's like walking on the wall? It's not particularly safe. 
They're all walking on a wall and fact goes first. Fact is followed by faith and faith is followed by feelings. And the idea is this, that God has made promises which are the facts. The facts of God are all the promises that he has made. So that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. That is a fact. And so what faith does, as long as fact is ahead of faith, faith is okay. Faith says, I can see fact, I put my trust in fact, no problem. But if at any point faith or fact look around to see what's happening with feelings, they fall off the wall. And we can do that in our lives. We can walk along in our lives and we're kind of saying, well, you know, I know this is the truth, but I'm not feeling it. Let me just have a check what feelings doing and woohoo, and we're off. Feelings will sort himself out as we continue in faith to follow the fact of God. Now, why am I saying that? I'm saying that because it is so important in our spiritual life. We believe the truth of God. Whether we feel like it or whether we don't feel like it, it is irrelevant. You know, there are some easier examples in our world where we would do that. If you ask somebody, why are you buying the house? They say, well, I feel like it. Say, really? Okay. Why are you walking down the motorway on the fast lane? Well, I just feel like it. Seemed like it felt like a thing I wanted to do. I think, actually, no, you know, feelings are such dangerous things. And the reason they're dangerous is that although Adam and Eve were created perfect, when Adam and Eve chose to disobey God, something in them got corrupted. And that corruption affects every part of what we are. People often think there is a misconception that I am a sinner because I commit sins. Did you know that that is not right? We commit sins because we are sinners. It's actually the other way around. There is something inherent in us that even if we never committed a single outward sin, there is internal sin and that is what condemns us. And so the whole idea is that even in our feelings and emotions, we can be wrong. We've probably experienced it in some way in terms of lust, in terms of greed, in terms of anger, that there are things that are in us. Have you ever been surprised at how you have felt about something? And you say to yourself, well, I didn't know that was in there. And so trusting our feelings is a deadly way to live. And you look at it, it leads to the mess that we've got in the world. I mean, people who are being encouraged to follow their feelings no matter where, and it is ending in absolute mayhem. And yet here it is that we have faith in the promise that God has given us. Now, obviously, there is a responsibility. We need to know what the promises are. We need to know that God wants to work in and through us. And, and here's the thing. Did you know that each one of us, it is possible for us to walk in that faith? It's not for a few super people. 
We are all on the same level playing field because we all have a sinful nature. And that means we all need to be saved and redeemed. But on top of that, God gives his promises and we each have the same opportunity to believe it or not. Because there isn't anything more than that. We kind of think, well, that guy's gifted, he's really good. But his gift doesn't do anything. You know, the Apostle Paul said that when he preached, he says, I didn't come with wise and persuasive words. It wasn't eloquent speech. It was just a demonstration of the Spirit's power. And that was totally reliant upon how the Holy Spirit was working. And so the whole idea is this. It's about promises, not about feelings. And I wonder in your life this morning, what are the sticking points that you're facing in terms of your journey with Jesus and are those sticking points there because you're not feeling anything? And God says, believe the promise. Believe the promise. If you read through the miracles in the New Testament, they had to believe before they received. You know, I've mentioned this before, and so I apologize again for mentioning it again, but it's so important that when people receive their healing, they very often have to do an act of faith. You know, if their shoulder is really painful, then Jesus would say to them, well, do this. And they say, well, I can't do it because my shoulder's painful. But Jesus says, but if you believe and you do that, in, as soon as you move your arm, that's where the power of God comes down. All the healings work like that. The woman with the issue of blood, she touched and then she was healed. The guy with the apostles who sat at the gate, who was lame, it was when they pulled him up that his ankles grew strong. And the thing is, our feelings say, I'm just going to wait until I feel something. Just wait, just feel something. And God says, you ain't going to get nothing. It's not about feeling, it's about stepping out in faith. Can you imagine Peter when he saw Jesus walking on the water and he said to Jesus, can I come? He says, of course. And he says, well, can you just freeze it over for me? Can you just make it a bit more solid because it still looks very sinkable? But he had to jump out. I mean, I wonder, I, I can imagine him, you know, he jumps out of the boat you know, he's standing there and he thinks, ooh, what's going to happen? And then he goes down, and I bet he was massively shocked when it was solid. He goes, wow. But he had to do it. I mean, he could have stood, he could have stood on the edge the whole time and said, well, I'll just wait till I really feel something here. And Jesus said, well, come on then. I told you, come. And that's why we're told in the Bible we need to have faith like children, because children don't need to be told. I could tell my son to stand up there and jump down and I'll catch him and he'll do it. I won't catch him, he's too heavy now. <laughs> but you get the idea. Kids will do it. And Jesus said we need to have faith like children because when the children are told, they believe. The tragedy is that living in this world, it kills your faith. It erodes your faith. And yet we've still got this amazing book of God's promises. And the challenge for us is that we make a decision to live in a way that we're saying, 
This is the truth here. Don't care what the world says. I, I find the older I get, the more precious this book becomes to me because I just realize the power inherent in what he has said. Let me speak about a foundational kind of truth to go with that. You know, for us to believe God, we need a worldview that is like God's. Yeah. Now, a worldview is a perspective on the world. Yeah. So, so if you looked at our current society, the worldview that is there is the thing that matters most is riches and wealth and power. Yeah, that is the worldview. Yeah, our society will elevate and value the things that create wealth for them. Yeah, now that is a worldview. But we need God's worldview. Why do we need God's worldview? Because God's worldview permeates every activity we get engaged in and it will guard us from engaging in things that are harmful to us. Because in our present culture, we can do anything we like. But not everything is going to be beneficial for us, and not everything is going to be healthy for us, and therefore, we need God's worldview on things like power, on things like sex and money and relationships. We need God's worldview here. Now, oddly enough, as I was praying this morning, and I was thinking, well, where is this worldview? The worldview, funnily enough, is in the Lord's Prayer. Because it starts like this, our Father in heaven. Well, what's that say about worldview? It says that as I'm living, I'm coming from a perspective that I have a Father who is in heaven, who is looking down on me, who created the world, and I am his Son. That is a worldview. Because you've got an evolutionary worldview, you've got an Islamic worldview, you've got a Hindu worldview. Well, the worldview of God is that he is my father in heaven. And I like that. I like having a father who is in heaven. And then it says, hallowed be your name. Hallowed means that you are holy, that you are worthy. It's making much of God. In a world where Jesus' name is a swear word, we come with a worldview that actually know we respect his name. We treat the things of God and who God is as holy. He's not one to be trifled with. He is the creator God. He made us and we need to recognize that he has all authority and he is holy. It's a worldview. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. And then it says... Your kingdom come. You know, there is a kingdom. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. That's another worldview. You know, God has for your life a plan that is already worked out. We're told in the scriptures that there are works prepared for you to do. That is the heavenly view. That is the heavenly kingdom. And we're saying to God, I want you to bring that down here. Our lives should reflect on earth what God has planned in heaven. Where we kind of go off keel is when we say, well, I, don't, I, want, I, want, I want the world's worldview. See, it's really tempting in the world that we live in where people value wealth that we value it as well. 
or where they value power or prestige. And so we're in this thing, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then it's give us this day our daily bread. You know, God expects us, the worldview says that God wants us to trust him day by day. It's not give us this week our weekly bread or give us this month or this year. That would be nice because then we wouldn't have to worry. But he says, trust me today. Trust me today. And you know, when we had all of this crisis where we were running out of toilet paper, you remember those days where a roll of toilet paper was equivalent to a bar of gold? And you know, in those crises where we run out of stuff, we, we, I tell you, we're not out of it. Anybody who's looked at prices of things, they're going through the roof. Utility bills are what, nearly 80% to 100% up. We've looked at food prices between our last chop last week to this week. Staple foods like rice and um, pastas have gone up 30p for a small packet, 30 pence. That's massive. It's almost 30% increase within a week. But we have a different worldview. Give us this day our daily bread. It means that if I've only got half a loaf, I can pray over it, break it, and feed my whole family because God can do a miracle. Why? Because I'm in his kingdom. I'm trusting in his paradigm and in his promise and saying, you need to do it, Lord. Man, we've seen God do miracles. Give us this day our daily bread. And then we come to this one. Forgive us our debts or transgressions as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. Wow. Wouldn't that be an amazing worldview where people forgave one another? What would society be like if we said, you know what, I forgive you. I'm not going to punch you in the head. You know, where we said, you know, forgiveness. It's, it's, it's a worldview. We need to walk around forgiving. And I'll tell you why. The people that I know who have not forgiven someone over a long period of time, they suffer from two things. Firstly, unforgiveness breeds a bitter spirit or a bitter heart. And these people who don't forgive, over time they become angry, bitter people. But there's a worse thing. The Lord's Prayer says, forgive me my transgression as I have forgiven those who sinned against me. And further down it says, if we don't forgive, we won't be forgiven. And so from the time point that somebody stops forgiving, all of their sin starts piling up. It's a bit like a dam that hits. You know, we sin and Jesus forgives us and he is gracious, but when we do not forgive others, this dam comes down and all of a sudden all of our sin backlogs. And some people who've not forgiven for 30 years have got 30-year backlog of sin that has not been forgiven. I mean, it's simple in the text. Those are two things you don't want. You don't want to grow bitter and you don't want to have a whole pile of sin against you that has not been forgiven. And that's why the worldview of Jesus, of God, is for us to say, forgive us. Why? Because we're freely forgiving those who sinned against us. 
And then it says, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us. Now, there's a, there's a bit of a challenge here because some translations say deliver us from evil and some say deliver us from the evil one. I prefer the translation that talks about deliver us from the evil one. Because there is a paradigm here that we live in a world that left to its own devices isn't neutral, that left to its own devices is under the control of Satan. I mean, why do you think we have these crazy things on the go? You know, people murdering people and children shooting children. And I mean, where does all of that come from? I read something on Twitter from somebody who said, somebody quite famous who said, oh, I believe at heart humanity is actually really good. I nearly tweeted back, have you read the news? Humanity isn't good. I'm sorry, we're not. Who goes for a walk late at night on their own? Well, why not? Because everybody's really good. You know, our world isn't good, and this worldview of God says, yeah, that's because Satan is behind and he is goading. You see, Satan knows how to kind of poke the stick at your sin to get you to react. Have you ever had that conversation where the person's pointing their finger and it's right under your nose? You kind of want to go, smack. Because it's, it's something that in you is generating an anger because it's just so, and the devil knows how to get you. And we need a worldview where we say, Father, we recognize Satan is around, and we ask you, would you deliver us from the evil one? The one prayer that I pray every single day over my children as they go to school is, Father, deliver them from the evil one. Protect them from the evil one. Make them invisible to him and his many. I pray that every single day that my kids go to school. It's a worldview. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And then, for yours is the power and the glory and the honor forever and ever. And it's a recognition of who he is. The world has a very low view of God. They say, ah, who's he? Let me tell you, he has all power. He has all authority. He deserves all honor. He is the king of kings. And when we recognize that, it gives our prayers power. When we lay hands, when we pray for people and lay hands, we can say, well, if he's got all power and he's told us to pray for the sick, we can expect people to get healed because there's nothing to hinder that. If he has all authority, it doesn't matter if I have to stand before the Prime Minister of England and, and, and give account for what I believe, I can do it because there is an authority that is higher than that one. And so we need to come to believe we need to be living in this kingdom worldview of who Jesus is. And I want to encourage you, when you go through the Lord's Prayer, just allow it to challenge you in your worldview. You know, as I finish this morning, I want to mention one more thing. There's this section in Luke 11. And after Jesus had taught them this prayer, he then said to them, he gives them this parable, which of you who has a friend 
will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And his friend will answer him from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut. My children are with me in bed. Uh, I cannot get up and give you anything. And then this is what Jesus says in verse eight. I tell you though, he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impotence, which means persistence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. I want to say to you that if you are praying about stuff and you're not seeing an answer, you need to be persistent. If you want to know persistence, go to a parent who has children, probably, you know, around the, the age of 10 or less, and you will know what persistence is. Yeah. Dad, can I have a Haribo? No. Dad, can I have a Haribo? No. Dad, can I have a No. Mom, can I have a Haribo? No. Dad, can I? And it goes on, and it goes on, and it goes on, and it continues, and then again, and then some more, and then again, and then again. Okay, you can have just one. Now, they didn't get it because I'm their dad who loves them. They got it because of their persistence. Think about that. Here's Jesus saying, when you pray, your persistence will get you further than because you're sons of God. I mean, that blows my mind. And the very next verses say, then Jesus goes and he says, I tell you, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Ask, seek, knock. Make it a daily exercise in your life to do those things. They are the things that will unlock what God is doing. And then he makes his amazing promise in verse 11. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish, give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? Can you, can you see the ridiculousness of it? James comes, hey, dad, can I have a fish? Yeah, here's a snake. Zoe comes, hey, dad, can I have an egg? Yeah, here's a scorpion. Catch. I mean, we'd be locked up, wouldn't we? Insane parents. But our comparison as parents to God is that we are parents like that because God is perfect. And our parenting skills are not. And he says, If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Let me tell you, that is one of the most powerful promises in the Bible. I'll tell you why. Because without the Holy Spirit, we can do nothing. We can't overcome sin. We can't do any miracles. We don't have any faith. Nothing. It all comes through the Holy Spirit. We're told in Ephesians that the Holy Spirit comes and strengthens our inner being. Do you wake up sometimes, do you get through a day and you think, I need strength in my inner being? Well, that's the Holy Spirit. And so the encouragement for this whole passage is firstly, make sure you have a worldview that puts God on the throne, not anybody else. 
Then be persistent in your praying. And if you don't know what to pray for, pray for the Holy Spirit because he will open the doors to everything else. And so I want to encourage you this morning, don't give up. You know, we're sometimes tempted to give up. Life is hard. Jesus said, through many difficulties, we must enter the kingdom of God. We each face our own battles. We have demons that assail us. We have challenges and difficulties. And I want to say to you this morning, don't give up. And I say that to you because Jesus loves you. The Father loves you. The Holy Spirit has been sent into your life to give you the strength and everything you need to get through every single day. But we need to start off right and say, hey, I'm here. And there is a challenge for us to make sure that when we get up in the morning, before we leave the door, that we have a sense of God about us. That we say, Lord, and you know, that doesn't mean you need to spend hours. But it means you need to set yourself before God in the day. You say, Lord, you do need to read the word. I I tell you, you won't get away from reading this. The promises are in here. And as you read it, God will speak to you through it. And it will strengthen your inner man. And the Holy Spirit will come and empower you as you go. And so I want to encourage you this morning, how much more will we achieve or do because the Holy Spirit is in us? And I want to say that is open to every single believer in Christ. Where We keep thinking of, oh, only those people can do it. You know, we have brothers and sisters who are in need. Um, I'm not on about brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm on about relatives. How many of us have got relatives who are in trouble? I know I have. And we were often looking for someone else to fix it. And God says, you do it. You do it. You have it within you. You've got the Holy Spirit. You pray. And whatever God gives you, you do. Whatever you sense he's telling you, you do. And then you see him at work. Let's pray as we finish.